Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky, episode 4. Um, so, before I go off on a little bit of a different streak, this is going to be something a little uh, different compared to episodes prior, considering that I think we're going to open up with previous uh, news related to... Uh, uh, to the anime industry that have happened over the past uh, week of October 19th. And before I move on to the major topic, I thought I might as well go over those and just kind of see uh, where I would be able to run with it. So at least for Netflix news, they finally released uh, the release date for the final season of The Great Pretender Season 2. So we're finally going to get episodes 15 to 23 of the second half being released internationally on November 25th. All of them were previously released onto Netflix Japan, but finally the international version with several new, uh, not several new, but uh, the several recurring dubs is finally going to be out on the date of November 25th. And related to that, Netflix also announced considering that they are going to be having new partnerships uh, with previous studios that they had worked on in the past, and also some that they have just decided to uh, enter um, into agreements and relationships with. So they have recently added Studio Naz, Science Saru, Mappa, and Studio Mir. Uh, Studio Mappa, previously uh, known for shows as of Yuri on Ice and this season's Jujutsu Kaisen, as well as Studio Mir, who previously worked on the Netflix adaptations of Legend of Korra and Voltron the Legendary Defender. Studio Naz also previously had um, a running show that came out in 2019 called Invaded, as well as Infinite Dendrogram. But the one that I'm really curious about in terms of what their next related project is going to be is Science Saru. So this uh, studio is headed by uh, Masaki Iwasa and previous uh, Netflix-only originals that they were able to get the licenses for includes most recently Japan Sinks 2020 and the 2018 hit Devilman Crybaby. Now the one show that they had in between, which honestly is my favorite show of uh, 2020, by far. There is no competition. Um, Keep Your Hands Off Azokin was um, licensed over to Crunchyroll, so they were the ones that had the distributions on that particular series. Um, but the next handful of shows, I would imagine, is going to be falling under Netflix's umbrella, so I'm honestly kind of curious to see what they're able to pull out um, come 2021 or 2022, depending on how long it's going to take them to go through. Um, personally, this little piece of news makes me happy, though, considering that uh, voice actress Tomoyo Kurosawa finally ended up getting uh, relieved uh, from the hospital after being diagnosed with COVID-19. And so considering that there would have been potential uh, long-term issues and damages, uh, according with the lungs and the throat, that could have resulted as a result of the virus, I'm legitimately uh, glad and that she was actually able to get out of this unfortunate situation with no, at the moment, uh, no long-running issues. So she is thankfully going to be coming back uh, to her uh, standard voice work, and she's going to be one of her most recent bids that's going to be coming out in the winter of 2021 is going to be uh, Yuru Camp. Uh, previously, she had been seen major roles in both Land of the Lustrous as Phosphophyllite and as well as Sound Euphonium in the terms of Kumiko. And legitimately seeing uh, one of my favorite actresses, uh, voice actresses being put in such a troublesome situation of that with potential long-term consequences was legitimately concerning, at least in my eyes. So the fact that she was at least able to get through this troubling time uh, with no, hopefully no lasting scars is honestly a blessing that she'll be able to keep working on this in the future. Um, and then in terms of movie news, over the course of the week, uh, Mamoru Hosoda has recently finished the storyboards for his next uh, up-and-coming work. He previously, his most previous film that uh, came into theaters was Mirai, 
that was nominated for an Academy Award and has worked on previous films, uh, including Wolf Children, The Boy and the Beast, and The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, which is my personal favorite. Uh, so that's the major news that I have over the past week. And even though I know that this is an anime podcast, I kind of feel like this kind of uh, topic and trend is something that would be best described um, as recently as possible, considering um, my relationship with the game that is going to be coming in question over the course of this series. So, StarCraft II. It is by far my favorite competitive esport in relation to video games in all of the years that I've played over the previous decade. Um, I picked it up back in early 2011 when a couple of my buddies ended up uh, singing its praises while I was at high school. It was made um, underneath the umbrella of Blizzard, and I would imagine the reason why a couple of my buddies were actually able to be so invested in this kind of series was A, that it was a sequel to potentially the genesis of esports as a whole, StarCraft Brood War, and underneath the umbrella of Blizzard, considering that the majority of them have been playing uh, Warcraft or World of Warcraft for ages uh, before I ended up picking anything on the PC, um, it was really surprising considering how this game operated and what exactly it was as a comparison. I had previously played um, other real-time strategy games before in terms of Age of Mythology and Age of Empires, but this essentially broadened my horizons entirely on the genre as a whole. Um, it was uh, the fact that not only was the campaign something to legitimately get you invested in what mechanics and uh, story that the game had to offer, but then on top of that, you had mechanics and uh, gameplay reminiscent of a lot of the handful of Flash games that I played as a kid, but then essentially ramped up to 11. Thankfully, I'm glad that the Age of series was able to give me a little bit of familiarity and something that uh, was able to get me into the RTS genre as a whole, but it was just something legitimately new and interesting, even though I didn't realize how far in terms of the depth of gameplay and the depth of passion that the majority of the players held for it uh, could have that I could have previously imagined. So in this game, uh, when my buddies introduced me to it in the beginning of 2011, I played the campaign and jumped onto what was going to be my first competitive ladder experience in any sort of video game online. Of course, in terms of regular esports that had been popping up over the majority of the 2000s inside of North America for stuff like Halo 1, 2, and 3, and Call of Duty, and uh, as well as the Counter-Strike series, a lot of first-person and third-person shooters, I was legitimately interested to kind of see why somebody would jump into these kinds of mechanics and this kind of gameplay and make it into something even greater than what it was actually able to um, portray itself as. So... The majority of the games that I started to play, because I had legitimately no idea, uh, the StarCraft in of itself is a real-time strategy. Um, it's an RTS that you have to destroy your opponent's base or s force your opponent to surrender and submit, and realizing that there is no potential way for them to win the game. You make workers to collect resources to create combative units in order to defeat your opponent and try and destroy their base before they can attack and destroy yours. And considering that this was the first time I had played in a competitive series where, sure, uh, I, you would normally be fit in the 
into the shooter category with people that you would legitimately just play back and forth and you would normally be balanced and played against people who have a relatively same play time and level as you but considering that i did not realize that there was a rank system because i did not play games in terms of like counter-strike cs 1.6 and 1.7 then i had never had a ladder experience related to this so jumping into that, it was incredibly frustrating at the time, like me only being 16 and an incredibly stubborn and competitive little shit that I was. It was an interesting uh, realization, kind of seeing, kind of forcing your perspective, considering that I had played sports, I'd done everything else, but I'd never pushed myself to a degree to get better at something besides video games. And so even though I had the experience and the relationship with the majority of sports, realizing that there was an esports scene, realizing that there was a legitimate competition worldwide bringing this game up into the annals of some of the uh, greatest esports of all time, I was legitimately um, overwhelmed but determined to try and get myself up into the into the uh, hierarchy and to the top of the ladder to try and go through. First couple of months didn't really go through. Um, I was not in the top half of the player base, at least in the North American servers, for the first six months. I was the majority, the, for the first three or four months that I was incredibly angry at myself, I was silver and gold, which are the second and third lowest uh, uh, ladder points in the game. And so I remember distinctly, if I didn't get gold, I probably would just quit the game entirely about four months in. In that same night, I hit gold. And within two months, I was a rank higher in platinum. And that was, it, it was so interesting to kind of see like how stubborn I was. If I, based on that um, mentality in of itself, within a week, I would have probably just stopped playing the game entirely, which would have been absolutely horrific. But I got through it. I watched uh, professional players and YouTube videos go through their builds, go through their strategies, kind of pick up how to open, how to respond, how to counter, how to build correctly, what specific unit types should I make, what counters what, what do you need in terms of utility to give your army the specific advantage over your opponent, and when to strike, and when to defend, and when to expand. And that was essentially one of the first... Uh, kind of like rock, paper, scissors bids that I ended up getting from uh, Dan Stemtkuski in terms of uh, most would know him as Artosis. And so if they, if your opponent expands, attack. If your opponent defends, uh, sorry, uh, Jesus, it's, it's literally only three points. So if your opponent <laughs> uh, defend, if your opponent defends, expand. If your opponent attacks, defend. If your opponent expands, attack. And it's just this never-ending circle of trying to get the basics of the game down to kind of see how far you could take that sort of bid and balance your micro, which is your mechanics and control of your units, and your macro. Um, how do you, like, how well optimizes your economy? Do you have the right number of workers either below or above your opponents? And if you are essentially trying to figure out what build or what strategy are you going to go, when do you cut workers and what do you cut your economy to go out for an all-in defensive that must succeed in order for you to attain victory in the game, or it would essentially just end your chances right there. So seeing all these strategies, all these variants, considering that not only does the game have a basic goal, defeating your opponent, your opponent can be one of three different races. 
Um, you can be the insectoid like Zerg, you can be the alien like Protoss, and you can be the human-esque Terrans. And each of them have their own mechanics, each of them have their own different variations on how their economy is set up and run, and of course each of them have their own set of units, with, with each race having anywhere in between 11 to 13 units total. Some air, some ground, only one of them, or two of them in this case, being worker-related, some of them are being supply-orientated, some of them are just simply army. And so just seeing all of these different variations of play that you could almost never play the same game twice, um, it was incredibly interesting in one of the biggest ways that was able to keep me inside of the game and legitimately keep me invested in trying to better myself. Considering that, okay, this one build and one strategy continuously beats me, I'm going to have to just drop everything and figure out, okay, so I'm not going to be able to progress up this ladder until I know that this is the, a specific way to beat a strategy. And then, of course, as different patches and different changes to the game come in four-month cycles, there's always going to be something that gets buffed and something that gets nerfed. And the entire scale of the game can just switch in an instant. And like the, and like the current games uh, that are at the highest uh, points currently in the early 2020s, and of course that was um, before and after StarCraft popped up in early 2010, a lot of the games like Dota 2 and um, League of Legends and Counter-Strike Global Offensive and, um, and Overwatch, essentially another Blizzard category. So all of them have patches that could change an upgrade, they could change a unit, they could change an economy-based piece. It was all interesting considering that the game could, in the best of times, not be flipped on its head, but have but also give birth to new strategies and new builds and that focuses on a specific unit instead of the previous composition that he had before. And so just the entirety of these changes in this atmosphere and this environment for a specific game continuously kept me invested. And having and having friends to play along with it, because they were essentially the only reason why I ended up getting this game in the first place, considering that they were the ones that pointed it out to me. They were the ones that we had all three races covered. We all played a specific bid. Some of us played more, some of us played less. Some of us devoted the majority of their free time to it, and some of us decided to play it casually. I definitely tried to get myself up the ladder and give as much time as I could because I still had, I was in high school, I had the time. Sometimes I worked on weekends, sometimes I didn't, so at least at that point in time I would still be able to find before uh, before and after school over the weekends to try and get the, put in the time to better myself uh, forward with this. And the uh, fruits of my labor, I was in the middle of our group. Um, and when I say middle of our group, it kind of is an understatement because I made it to the top of Diamond which would have been just outside of the top 2% of players inside of North America. I had a friend of mine who had made it to Masters, who was in the top 1% of the North American server, and then another buddy of ours, he, at his highest point in Masters as Protoss, was in the top 500 players of North America. And it was great the fact that we could essentially bounce different ideas and strategies and perspectives off of each other, which not only uh, increased our knowledge on the game, but also in, uh, improved our perspective, considering that each of us played different races. Each of us could give uh, solutions and builds and timings to give each other the edge on different matchups that could potentially be coming our way. And it was honestly amazing. And then I figured out essentially the 
grandiose world of the esport section. This was the first time, of course, I had seen um, tournaments online with Halo, tournaments online with um, Call of Duty, but it was—it seemed like it was just convenient television programming that even though they had a league, I only watched about two or three of those games max. And then realizing that StarCraft has essentially been the birth child of esports in of itself uh, that ended up starting in the late 90s with StarCraft Brood War that is still being played to this day over 20 years later. It is a testament to how well-designed and how passionate those particular players are to continuously play a game to the point that it is well past its due date and it should be left in the annals of history, but because the game is just so well-crafted and so beloved and essentially has the longevity and the staying power that most games would dream of, it is still a game that stands the test of time and I legitimately cannot say when it will ever when it will ever fall away from relevance and will stop becoming an esport. And watching esports in general for the first time and going through Dan Artosis Stemkowski and Nick Tasteless Plot being possibly the greatest uh, esports casting duo that I have ever seen and ever will probably see. I can definitely give props to them for not only welcoming me into the scene with um, knowledge and commentary that not only brings players into it, but also feeds into greater knowledge and points out the best aspects of what each player is able to bring to the scene, and how those who have been veterans of the game for years can still understand and still relate to Artosis and Tasteless which in this case, uh, Tastosis is their casting duo, and I don't really know how to deal with that, but honestly, it's become just a legend. They're just a legendary cast between them. But it was kind of great to see how they were able to straddle the line between having giving the utmost knowledge and kind of being able to figure out what is going to be happening when, but then also being able uh, for them to bring more people into it by not only simplifying it, but just optimizing the way that they were able to communicate their information. Um, just watching, in my case, GSL, DreamHack, uh, the Blizzard, um, not the Blizzard World Cup, but um, essentially the uh, Blizzard convention at the end of the year where they would host and give the title of the best StarCraft II player in the world. It was amazing. Even though Korea, South Korea, had it on lockdown and they were the ones that were on top of the game considering that they were the ones that were pioneering esports and they had more experience, more knowledge, and more um, optimized systems compared to every other country on the planet when it came to this specific genre of sporting, um, they definitely had it. Because they were the ones that uh, optimized Brood War, and they were the ones that had the, even though there would be foreigners, um, like, say, White Raw, uh, Idra, mm, I'm completely blanking <laughs> on more, on more, like, who else, like, who was the uh, Terrans, not Juggernaut, not Jason, he's more recent, but it was just, we, it's, it's tough, considering that at, at the time, especially in the 2000s, just dropping everything so you could try and participate and compete in uh, local tournaments in Korea and going to a foreign country just so you can try and compete in the game that you know and love. It was something that was just so mind-boggling to me how somebody would actually be able to do what they did and gamble a large part of their lives just so they could try and attempt to hopefully find success worldwide renowned 
in the game that they had played and sunk so much time into and that they loved with all their heart. And that was honestly something that was incredibly eye-opening to me, kind of seeing what people with can do with the passion that they have. And it was honestly something um, that wasn't short of mesmerizing and inspiring to me as a teenager. Um, moving on to the rest of it, the one specific topic that I decided to jump through and what led into this kind of uh, episode was that a new gaming studio was recently announced to have taken form from old uh, Blizzard, StarCraft II, WarCraft III developers, veterans, designers who have coalesced all of their time and with a donation of 4.7 million in funding from various venture capitalists and from different video gaming companies to essentially create the now um, legitimized company Frost Giant. And this company is has quite the resume of the majority of people that they are going to be bringing into their folds who are acting as CEO, who are acting as designers, and the ones uh, who are going to be attempting the Herculean task of being the creators of the next great real-time strategy game in the world. Considering that StarCraft II and Brood War are the only two major ones that have found major uh, major success and notoriety over the course of the 2010s. But considering battle royales and MOBAs have essentially taken the majority of the time in first-person shooters that, will, that have taken up the spotlight for the majority of the past decade, and the fact that Star, StarCraft II's numbers have just been flatlining over the past several years after the majority of these came into prominence, um... It's definitely sad, but the fact that StarCraft II is not only still holding tournaments and still going through with their with their global star leagues, with their uh, with the majority of their tournaments and their seasons that are still letting in foreigners and those who are still trying to push themselves to the limit, regardless of how the game has evolved over the past ten years, is honestly legitimately amazing. So I would like to talk at least point a little more towards Frost Giant, considering that there is no it's they're setting themselves the worst way i can say it is that they're setting themselves up for failure they are going in and creating this company and even though they have been able to acquire funds from various venture capitalists and from various other uh, uh from various video game companies that it was essentially able to bet on them as well for like a long-term profit considering that they are attempting to create the next greatest real-time strategy in the 2020s and that is not going to happen for years it will take at least a minimum of one to two years to even get a playable alpha in order to get consumer experience and uh, comments and feedback to kind of see where they could take the game to even set it into a beta and let alone a finished project i wouldn't be surprised if that's going to push us into the later half of the decade i mean 2024 or 25 would kind of just be generous but even i even my knowledge of of a central video game uh, production has from the inception of a company to the finished first product of their vision i legitimately have no idea how long it's going to take them but it's going to be several years before we get anything substantial um and the fact that they are trying to create the next real-time strategy that is a grandiose vision to try and achieve 
because I, of course I love it. I love StarCraft II. I would love to support these people and see them flourish with the success of revitalizing an entire genre that has been being pushed further and further under the rug in comparison to the much greater genres that have been popping over the last couple of years. But they're really people rallying behind them and expecting them to to make the greatest the next greatest uh, esport in real time strategy is just like is way too optimistic is overly optimistic i just cannot stress about the fact that the amount of time it would take not only to create the game and decide on what engine to use and the production and legitimately getting the team and just getting the ideas from paper to screen is going to be legitimately difficult, especially when that is the kind of goal that they have set in mind. They are trying to make the next great real-time strategy game, and on top of that, the next great eSport. So just everything that they're setting out to do, the amount of stuff that they're going to have to accomplish over the next five to six years is just staggering. I mean, it's it's going to be a pipeline scenario for sure. X has to happen before Y, and Y is going to have to happen before Z, before they can even start thinking about grandiose visions of being one of the next ma uh, major real, uh, real-time strategy and mainstream esports. They just have to get these things together first. They have the funds, but they don't have the manpower. They don't have the ideas. They've, they've sure, they've gone into the development process and uh, generating different ideas to try and see what they can do to get it off the ground, but they still have legitimate legitimately no idea what they're going to go for. They don't know if it's going to be hero-based, they don't know how many races they would put into the game, and how, and what kind of balancing issues that in of itself would kind of lay bare. It's just so... I'm, I'm pessimistic. I'm, neg I'm negative by default. That is definitely an issue of mine that I would... that I'm going to point out and express. But... I'm going to keep my expectations completely non-existent uh, for this uh, for this project, considering that I will keep my email open to the newsletter. I'm going to see what they are going to create. I will give a comment or two just to kind of say what I like and dislike about StarCraft II and how exactly it has changed and what I think of those changes that have happened over playing this game for nearly 10 years. But nobody, but trying to not only get constructive criticism and legitimate support from the online community is a double-edged sword. You are never going to make these people happy. You are never going to make an anonymous group of people who have been playing games for however, who who knows how long, uh, legitimately satisfied and happy with whatever product that you are going to put out. It does not matter if it has one of the most optimized gaming systems and mechanics and micro-macro orientation with, uh, with various races that have been spec'd out to the perfect amount of equality. It doesn't matter because there's always going to be something wrong. There's always going to be something that they can point out and they will legitimately die on a hill for. It is just... It is something that is necessary to gain support from the people who have been around this specific genre and this kind of game for the last several decades, but I'm really hoping that the people who are coming in to support this keep lower their expectations to a degree that is more than enough manageable for this small group of people at the time, considering that the most that we can do is just help and offer criticism. Balance issues off an alpha? Fuck no. Um... 
legitimately trying to push the developers who have been working on that game for several years into a way that would personally benefit and make things easier for you no we cannot fucking do that we cannot add like more and more stress to those who are not only in the middle of the video gaming industry which is enough of a hellhole in of itself in terms of production deadlines and legitimately overwhelming uh, tasks that are being thrust upon them by the upper echelon of the company and trying to get it out the door with specific ways in order to maximize profit profit. Thankfully, in terms of how their business model is going to go, they want to focus on the product first before going through merchandise, before going through licensing, before going through distribution, which is definitely something that I would like to see. But then when the time comes and the only way that we're going to be able to, to support this game is through word of mouth and legitimately buying the copy, I'm really hoping that they have somebody on their side that even though they have Riot Games as a major investor, they are not a part of the major operating sides of the company. They are, Riot Games is not going to throw in and chime in on ideas and saying, this is how we like the game to be, this is how we're going to go through. No, this is going to be focused solely on the developers and how they are going to be able to maximize and optimize their vision to the degree that they see it, which is honestly one of the only thing positive things that I can take out of this. This is from a development team and group that is legitimately passionate about the items that they were able to create and the games that they were able to push forward and the different um, industries that they were able to help in the terms of the creation of what they were able to accomplish. But I'm going to leave it to them because, sure, I've been playing this game for nearly 10 years and I still have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, which is honestly one of the glorious things about Brood War and StarCraft II and why it's going to be a set of games that is going to stand the test of time and probably be played in to the next decade or more is because it doesn't end. It is a game that is so diverse and is so um, mechanically optimized that you can never have the same game twice and you're also able to move forward with different mindsets and different playstyles and the game always evolves. It changes. It, thanks to patches, it never stays in the same place for too long, and there's always a way for it to change and push it into a different direction than it was previously, and always moving forward and always being relevant and always legitimately being able to give a different experience than any other type of game could. And so the longevity of the game is also going to come into question to kind of see how long they're going to do, because even though the development team has a lot of experience in terms of the real-time strategy genre, this is going to be their first game of the company. And that is going to be weighed upon by the expectations of not only themselves, but the vast internet and RTS community that is going to be breathing down their necks every single week that they are going to be slaving away at this game. And that is something that we just should not do. It is not healthy. It is not it is not a positive thing to push it onto these people, which is the only reason why I thought it was just a bad, a, like just a bad start to say we are going to make the next greatest RTS uh, game in existence and pioneer one of the next greatest esports because you're just setting yourself up for failure. There is no way that you could legitimately live up to everybody's expectations after a statement like that. So it's just something that I'm legitimately concerned about moving forward with Frost Giant and kind of going and just kind of trying to figure out what is going to be the next set of steps. 
because of course we're going to be getting news from their newsletter which i definitely suggest subscribing to and going over to frostgiant.com just to kind of see what their team is like and if you recognize anybody because i sure did um sean plot and nick plot also known as tasteless their mother is going their mother is on one of the uh major uh, pieces of the, the of the development team in production and it was legitimately heartwarming to see um sean plot also known as day nine who has been making content like this for over a decade and has also been competing in various events since the mid 2000s uh, early 2000s even and it's just amazing to kind of see how his family and his uh, like mode of commentary and entertainment has still evolved over the past couple of years, which is also something that is going to go through. As much as I'd like to say, you know, negative things about the community and what essentially they can do and destroy um, and leave horrifying in their wake, the the communities related behind StarCraft II and uh, WoW Three or Warcraft Three is that they are the ones that have still been able to pioneer fan-made community con uh, content games, and they were able to use the engine that was given to them by Blizzard to create their own game modes, to create their own maps and their own stories and their own experiences as games within the game that they love. And that was one of the major talking points that the developers were kind of thinking of, especially coming from the Warcraft, or the, uh, yeah, the Warcraft 3 side, is how their in-game engine is going to translate to um, community-made content because that is one of the biggest drivers in the industry in the in the video gaming industry today by far it is online content creation considering that whatever is curated whatever is being made at the time going with the trends of the internet and YouTube as a whole that can easily give a large spike to your game's notoriety and popularity um, going through the long run. So be, giving the fans the ability to not only create, but expand their own content inside their game engine is also going to be a Herculean task. Thankfully, the team that is going around this has a lot of experience with that kind of thing, so I can at least leave it in their hands. But it is just... Oh, I It's, it's something I could go on for days um, with this specific topic in mind. I'm legitimately concerned about how the development and production stage is going to go for these kinds of uh, for these kinds of games for the RTS genre in particular considering that it has been on an even or just flat slope for several years even after StarCraft 2 was able to get two new expansions um, over the course of the 2010s to keep the game relevant and to complete the story that it was being told and add new mechanics and add new units and flip up the gameplay and the economy and the mechanics and everything else, but it was still not able to compete with the largest games on the market. So while I am concerned and while I am not going to give Frost Giant the benefit of the doubt and hoist up my expectations to an overwhelmingly large degree. The biggest thing that I can say that Frost Giant has done leading into the 2020s for the entire genre as a whole, and with a set of games that I've been playing now for nearly 10 years, is that they have given me hope. Hope that there is going to be a future for this type of game, for this genre, and for these kinds of players, and for this kind of market to prove to the majority of the industry that they are still worth, um, they are still worth betting on. They are still 
legitimately passionate about the games that they have been producing and optimizing and making for over a decade and they are going to continue to fight and struggle and bleed and pour every amount of effort that they can into making this game a success and it is going to be difficult coming from the perspective of a guy who's played their games and has never delved into their process of course everything i can take i can say is taken with a grain of salt but i will do whatever i can to ease um their stress to ease the process in whatever way i can i will give i will just comment on what needs to be said when they produce an alpha several years down the line you know i'm going to be the first in line to try it to play it to give my legitimate feedback on and hopefully improve the game's future for the better because like me and so many others this is a game that has been with us for the majority of our lives and knowing that there is hope for a future in this industry and in these uncertain times then that is something i can legitimately thank frost giant for